Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. I'm Zachary Beta-Shamai. I'm Eddie Meredith. We're back. We are back. We are uh, back in the old uh, dining room, the blankets all over the walls, and uh, we are here to fill you in on all the exciting news that has been happening and shaking down in the OUA over the past few weeks. The blankets are, you know, to help dampen the sound so we don't sound, you know, brutal in here because sound quality is important. We're going to sound brutal with our takes, not our uh, not our audio. Yeah, high fidelity, low quality takes. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure you've been following everything that's been going on the last few weeks, coaching changes, a lot, a lot of, uh, you know, familiar names in new places. And so pretty much, I think, by the time we cover all of the, that news, that'll pretty much be the episode. I think we might want to dive into the schedule, which got released, obviously, uh, towards the end of last year, and you know, take a look at some of the bigger matchups. But really, I think it's just going to be all about, like I said, old faces, new places. Yeah, that's why we wanted to wait until now to do this special episode pod, just to wait until all the dust settled around the OUA. There was a lot of dust. It has pretty much all been settled at this point, so we're going to comment on all those moves. And yeah, that'll, that'll probably be... The entirety of the pod because a lot of stuff has happened if you weren't aware yeah and so uh i think you know with that being said setting the table i think the place we'll probably start is your alma mater because they probably had the most changes so far on see what's happening over with the purple ponies yeah it was uh it was a sandstorm hitting london ontario and sweeping up with it the entirety of the coaching staff obviously steve snyder to queens the new head coach there was the first domino to fall not really dominoes they didn't really affect each other here uh jp cercelli the offensive line coach at western now the head coach at windsor that's the second western offensive line coach to take over a fledgling program the last one obviously chris pertoya yeah uh, second offensive line coach from western so uh, that project worked out pretty good pretty good job he did there (laughs) yeah yeah you're now seeing the uh uh you know hopefully a dynasty he's building at waterloo i mean certainly Mm. a feat even even the most optimistic Burt supporter like myself couldn't have seen coming so resoundingly so quickly. Very excited to see what happens next for him and what happens now for J.P. Cercelli at Windsor. Yeah. Outstanding offensive line coach, taking with him uh, recruiting coordinator for Western and defensive line coach Joe Cercelli. Joe Cercelli, an offensive lineman who I've had the pleasure, sometimes displeasure, of playing beside. <laughs> sorry, or, Joe. Sorry, Joe. Some, sometimes you were a dick. No, no, no. Joe is great. Joe, Joe is a, a field general player who, you know, was telling me what to do when I first got to Western. You know, and and, and the next year after that, <laughs> and uh, an outstanding offensive lineman, uh, brilliant football mind. Also, could tell you what the quarterbacks reading and yeah. and what the the receivers are supposed to be doing and how that changes with coverages. So a brilliant football mind. Yeah. Was coaching defensive line at Western because obviously they had Snyder and JP, so they didn't need him on the offensive side of the ball. Coach defensive line. The defensive lineman loved him. Thought he did a really great job. Brought a valuable perspective that you don't get from most defensive line coaches on how offensive linemen play. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, he was also responsible for. Uh, the recruiting class of last year. So we did a very good job of that, too. And, I, I mean, obviously, two great young coaches, two Western and London Blue Bloods, two guys who both or went. purple blood. Purple blood, sure, blue blood. They went to CCH. Oh, okay. And so they now have, you know, a, a pretty solid start on the inside track at, you know, London recruiting. Mm-hmm which is huge because a lot of great players come from London. It's one of the most fertile recruiting grounds in the country. Western has built uh, a dynasty based on keeping, you know, a, a good portion of the best players in London. Obviously some defect yeah. go to Mac, go to Guelph. I know all too well. <laughs> and 
Western does, though, keep a lot of them. So it'll be interesting to see if these guys can cut into that recruiting route. And, and I think and that's a that's a really, really salient point. And I think what's uh, you know important as well to note is that for Windsor's perspective, because the closest school geographically is Western out of London, of course, is, is, you know, there's a lot of great players in the Windsor area too. I remember back in the day with the Essex Ravens were always a dominant team. So clearly there is talent in that area, but the problem for them as it is anywhere is maintaining your homegrown talent. And I know they traditionally, at least in, in recent years, they'll lose a lot of players to Western. And so I wonder now with the Cercellis, whether that, um, whether it's the the name that they bring with them, you know, as you mentioned, being blue bloods from the London football scene, whether that's going to work at all to be able to, you know, not only bring in London guys, but to sort of convince some of the top talent from the Windsor Essex County region to be able to say, hey, look, we have a good thing going here. You don't need to leave, like stay close to home, save a couple bucks. Like if it's a matter of like, you know, living on residence or, or what have you. And let's build, let's build something here. Let's not just go and like add to the, the, the trophy case. Let's make something happen here. Exactly. And, and Windsor is one of the top recruiting areas in Canada in terms of uh, per capita, but it's smaller, right? Mm-hmm. So London is bigger than Windsor. Absolutely. Yeah. Windsor does have to worry about its best players leaving. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about Windsor, the program. When they've been elite, it's been with Windsor talent at the helm. Yeah. Imagine if some of the best Windsor talent hadn't left. Andy Fantuz comes to mind. Pavel, obviously, Andy Fantuz, longtime CFL superstar, all-time yeah. leading receiver for Western. Pavel Kruba, Western player, right, right. President's Trophy winner. Like you know, one of those kind of talents at linebacker that can change a defense. Yeah. And. Uh, I don't know. You might have heard of him. Kyle Quinlan was a Windsor guy. <laughs> oh, I actually didn't know he was a Windsor guy. Okay. He was a Windsor guy. Wow. And, okay. And, they... I mean, and the list goes on. And so Windsor, if they can keep talent at home, that's a huge start. Well, that's because also because Austin Kennedy, who you know played there during I guess their last you know good you know series of uh, seasons, maybe I guess almost getting close to ten years ago now. I um, I guess he was uh, he's a, a a Windsor guy as well. So it's. At the very least, you know, the area can tout that they're, you know, bringing up this good quarterback talent. Well, exactly. And, I mean, you, you look at the guy they have now, and yeah. Sam Girard, that's a great quarterback. Now, Amherstburg, I don't know if that's near Windsor. I'll, I'll just I'll just, <laughs> I'll just, assume it is because that fits the narrative a little better. But uh, he's a great quarterback. So they have, yeah. they have a lot to build around on offense. And their offense, for all the faults of the team last year, their offense looked pretty good at times. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of good – uh, pieces already there and obviously the first priority for JP and Joe and the staff that is you know kept in place which is most of the staff from last year you know including Flamia and Alexander uh, if I'm not mistaken the the first priority is to recruit the lines to build the lines yeah. you have three offensive line coaches on staff now quote unquote I mean you JP head coach will not be personally doing indie. Uh, but he's an offensive line coach, brilliant offensive line coach. His first priority, building the offensive line. From there, you can have a run game that can sustain the entire offense. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, for the two of us sitting here, it doesn't take much, you know, convincing at all to know that the run game obviously starts with the offensive line. But with Windsor in particular, just as a microcosm of that, we saw last year the difference in, well, as an offense as a whole, but particularly in the run game, their effectiveness for those games when Drew Desjardins was injured, 
and their effectiveness when he was in. It was night, night day, and day. And night we're talking day. about one player. And, you know, let's – One one extremely one ex- exactly. good I player. I don't want to under undervalue how good he was. Yeah. But just, you know, to your point about that's where it starts. It starts with that line, getting in good pieces. Everything else can work around that. Yeah, so and they have, you know, and they're, so when your head coach was a former offensive lineman, your OC is a former offensive lineman, and you have on staff a former Windsor offensive lineman in, Beardy. in Randy Beardy right. as the O-line coach. You know that's going to be a priority, and you and I assume that's going to be a very strong recruiting point advantage for that yeah. staff. I mean, it should be. If Absolutely. I'm an offensive lineman, I want I want to go there. I mean, yeah. maybe I mean I went to Western. I was pretty happy with that, and you, you well. <laughs> but if you're looking at a staff and saying, I wonder how much skill development I'm going to be, and Oof. how much time is going to be devoted towards my development as a player, exactly. And also, you know, there will be a lot of opportunity for guys to play early. Desjardins. He's gone. That guy's in the CFL. Like, it's usually it's hot take. It, it, not, I mean, you know, it is and it isn't, right? Because a lot of guys, even good players, need an extra year sometimes. But yeah. this is a CFL ready offensive lineman. The the it's clear to me. The tape it's very, doesn't lie. It's big, yeah, the tape does not lie. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we lie to ourselves about the tape, but the tape the tape <laughs> does enough. not lie. Yeah, yeah. I, I have been known to do that. <laughs> yeah. That's like a good enough technique on that play there, right, Coach? Yeah. You you uh, choose the wide film instead of the tight so you can only see the finished product. You don't yeah, see the technique yeah. in getting there. Listen, we got five. I must have blocked them okay. <laughs> uh, so that, that's, a, that's a big thing for them is their offensive line uh, pedigree will be substantial. And we saw that with Coach Burt at Waterloo. Yeah. Right? What's the first thing he wants to do? He wants to build an offensive line. He did that. I yeah. mean, now you're starting to see – you'll see the first class, the first – group of players that he recruited to Waterloo graduating and you'll have Jesse Gibbon who's going to be well I mean probably the top tackle in the class I mean I like yeah, in the whole of, CFL yeah. class maybe there's uh, someone from Quebec or or Can West who I'm not considering but Jesse Gibbon's an either way outstanding player going to be an early pick he's going to be graduating or I mean if he's not gone he's probably gone to the CFL yeah. so can't say for sure. You know, the Beaumiers, uh, Kyle at center, Kevin at fullback, two guys I coached for the junior Mustangs. That's a part of that offensive line group he recruited. Benny Koswara was already there, so he's a fifth-year guy. He'll be gone. But that's that's what I expect to see from uh, JP and Joe is uh, to build an offensive line that in four years we're looking at it thinking, okay, like you did a good job when you first got there and we see it now Mm -hmm. and we'll probably see it earlier than four or five years out. I'm, I'm very confident in that, but the offensive line, that's going to be a big deal for them. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, they have a culture to rebuild as did Bertoya at Waterloo. When you, when you inherit a group that has lost a ton of games for multiple Mm. years, there's a bit of a, and I'm not saying this exists there because I know they had a lot of fight in them last year, but there can be a bit of a whipped dog mentality where, you know, it's just it's it's hard to regain that sort of that real vicious bark, you know, and yeah. and, and the bite and the bark, and well, and I th- I think they'll get that back. Well, a, f- a funny sort of um, uh, little anecdote to illuminate this point, and I, I'm surprised I forgot to mention this to you, you know, before we're off air. But I actually ran into former Metro teammate of ours, Riser Markell, a couple weeks ago, just downtown. No way. Yeah, and he spent and he, he was uh, for those who don't know Riser's name, he uses. Toronto uh, based running back, super talented at the high school level and playing in the um, OBF, uh, what was the OBFL at the time. And an outstanding teammate, just to throw I, that oh, in there. No, absolutely. Love blocking for that guy. Such a good guy. And then went to York for a year. And like many guys who go to York and 
you know, it's, it's, it just seems to be the fact of the matter. Spend the year there. You don't see their name the year after. And I was kind of talking to him about that briefly. And he brought up that point you were making when the culture is so rooted in losing that it just it weighs on the kids. And especially when you're a young kid, you're in university, you're away from home for maybe the first time and you can go party, you can do all these things. Those allures that, you know, arguably make football and the commitment you make sort of honorable, so to speak, that you're putting those things aside. Those things are more tantalizing when you know your team is is kind of going nowhere fast it's a really good point and it's it is just so hard mentally to stay disciplined when it seems like no matter what you do yeah there's going to be that era of negativity and you know what's even worse than negativity is 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 passism pass is being passive yeah (laughs) let me looking for the word let's not let's not beat around the bush it's when it's not even that people are upset it's that they're no longer upset. It's that it's just sort of it's understood. Numbing. It's very not, and that's horrible. Yeah, the only time to be numb is under anesthesia. That's it's, <laughs> it's that's no good. Yeah, and and so to your point about being able to change a culture, that obviously, as you said, is about you know the person coming in and, and sort of leading the charge. But a lot of that's going to have to do with the recruits they're bringing in because for you know you might have you know fourth, fifth year players that have stuck it out and they might have the talent in the world, but it, as you said, it might just be so ingrained in their mind that it's almost like it just at a certain point that that mentality might be stuck. So it, it, it probably will be from the ground up with the recruits that they're bringing in. And I will say it's probably not as big of a challenge as it was for Bird at Waterloo because, again, like it hasn't been that long where this team's been losing. Yeah. You know, they do they do remember institutionally, I think, what it was like to win. And I know they have they have a lot of players with fight, and it showed this year. I yeah. mean, they fought in a lot of games. Definitely. They didn't lay down and die. Definitely. I mean, maybe against Western, but even still, not not even really. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they were they were trying. This was not a uh, it was not a loser effort. It was just it yeah. was a it was it was a losing result, obviously. But there's a lot of room to grow, even with the the roster they currently have, and I'm sure they're going to build it up pretty quickly there, because you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, if only they can just cut into London a bit and keep Windsor guys in Windsor, that's a huge start. So. Definitely. No, it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how the rest of this offseason plays out for them in the recruiting process. But moving back to Western for a moment, you mentioned, uh, you know, losing Snyder, losing the Circellis, and that this this coaching staff has kind of been, you know, stripped away. And, you know, you hear people talk in the NFL a lot. Well, that's about, not even I mean, that's not even the half of it. Oh, I no, here. We'll, we'll get to that yeah, but yeah. On, on that on that point. You hear people talking in the NFL a lot about the Bill Belichick coaching tree. And you'll see his his you know, fingerprints all across the league when so and so now coaching wherever was his coordinator back in whenever. And you see the success that bears. People say the same thing with like Andy Reid and some of these sort of the top coaches. So whatever result might come of all these coaches leaving Western, there has to be some solace to be said in the fact that whether it's whether it's a product of just Greg Marshall himself and the type of environment he's created there or just the 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 pure talent and success the team has had for such a sustained period that you you don't want to see all these coaches leave because obviously they've been part of such a big 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 part of what made the team so successful but nonetheless you you kind of it kind of speaks to what a great program it is that you're having these coordinators, these assistant coaches now going out and getting these bigger roles as a product. Do you see that as a, as a positive in a way? 
Well, I mean, you know, the prestige of Western's enormous, and having coaches leave and be successful elsewhere it is, feeds into is, that. You know what? It, it is a positive because yeah. it shows you, hey, you go to Western as a coordinator, leave whatever coordinator job you're at, go to Western as a coordinator, you're going to be a head coach pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, with with the exception being, you know, Gleese as defensive coordinator, he's not looking to leave to become a head coach, but, you know, Snyder, offensive coordinator, head coach. Bertoya, offensive line coach. Head, head coach. coach jp offensive line coach head coach yeah. you have mickey donovan was a head coach i mean like it happens a lot and it will continue mm-hmm. to happen a lot and that's great and it is a great draw for coaches you worry about brain drain you worry about what that means in the short term for uh for for system continuity because obviously you're gonna have a lot of it with greg marshall's offense being what was you know largely what was run last year i mean snyder it was his offense but it was adapted from Greg's. So, you know, it won't be super, super difficult for them to uh, reintegrate if, if Greg Marshall does end up calling the offense again, uh, as he did before Snyder. It won't be too hard, but, you know, you worry a little bit about just, will the language all be the same? You know, it's just a wrinkle. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a speed bump. It's something to get over, and I'm sure they will. I do see it as a positive and a negative. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the classic thing where exactly. there are Double positive elements, there are negative. It, Western will recruit great coaches. Yeah. Uh, but they have a lot of work to do on that front because yeah. not Please only continue. did they lose Snyder, not only did they lose JP and Joe Cercelli, but there was just a, I mean, coincidental timing with a lot of other coaches who have now won a Vanier Cup, appeared in another Vanier Cup, and are just getting on a little bit in age and just in their lives and want to focus on other things. So, Western lost Josh Malakzada on the offensive side. He was a receivers coach and he was the video guy and he was really a football ops guy. And what he did for that program was invaluable. He freed up a lot of time for Greg Marshall to focus on football specific tasks on the offense, on the defense, on the teams, on recruiting. Josh Malakzada was a really important piece. He's left to pursue non-football opportunities. I think a uh, family company's involved. He's a really smart guy. You know, he's just, he want, it's time for him to move on. And you have P.J. Edgeworth, the defensive backs coach. Really, really good defensive backs coach. One of the best in the country. A volunteer coach. He's getting on. He just wants to be with his family, I guess. He, you know, like football takes up an enormous amount of time, even for volunteer coaches, even for part-time guys. It's really all you're doing in your off time in football season. So four months of the year. They also lost Adrian Kaiser. So he was their linebackers coach, special teams coordinator, young guy, linebackers coach, wants to focus, I guess, on his career. He's a teacher. I think he just got a promotion. So, you know, that's that's one of those things that happens. And then uh, Coach Squiggs, the running backs coach, also moving on. So, <laughs> and Will Finch, the quarterbacks coach, yeah. isn't going back either because apparently just the, the commute was sort of too much and I don't think – I don't think it's like a big paying role to be the quarterback's coach, but he was commuting, you know, like an hour plus each way to get there. So you have left on that coaching staff from last year until maybe some additions. You have Greg Marshall and Gleese. So that's an enormous blow. Mm-hmm. That's that's really the obviously losing the full time paid guys, huge deal, huge deal. But losing all this other stuff going to be very difficult to replace mm-hmm. so it's quite a challenge in front of western what i have heard 
is, and this is this is big, and I don't know if this hasn't been officially announced yet, but I've heard it's a thing. Kevin McNeil, your former dude, head yeah. coach. Well, not my head coach, but sorry, yeah. that's right, that's right. My my mistake. Yeah, DC when I was got there got the time yeah. wrong. DC when you were there, and then yeah. head coach uh, the next year. Uh, he is now going to be at Western as, and I'm not positive on this, but he's going to be coaching linebackers. Mm-hmm. I think he's taking over what Kaiser did. So linebackers and special teams is mm-hmm. my understanding. Could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, though, that's still only three people on staff. One of those being Glees, who was a part-time guy, you know, isn't going to be enormously involved typically in the recruiting apparatus. And G. Marsh, you know, as a as a great head coach, isn't typically super, super, you know, in the weeds in recruiting. He's a huge part of the process, but he wasn't doing a recruiting coordinator type mm-hmm. job. So they have to fill that spot immediately. Yeah. I mean, otherwise it's going to be a semi-lost recruiting class. I know Joe Cercelli in his capacity as recruiting coordinator at Western was putting together a nice class so far, but if you don't keep that momentum up, sure, yeah, it, it goes away quick. Yeah. So, well, I think K-Mac also worked fairly well as a recruiter in his time at Guelph. And if I remember correctly, I think he is from London, so, you know, we talked about the possibility of will, you know, Sir Selly, um, will the Sir Sellys be able to pull some of the London guys away from there? Hopefully, if, if that's true, bringing K-Mac, hopefully, you know, if I'm correct in saying that he's a local guy as well, coming back to his hometown to coach up uh, the Mustangs, we'll see how that plays in as well. Um, but, and, and if that's true, I'm happy for K-Mac because, you know, you worry when, when someone reaches the the top of the coaching tree so to speak as a head coach there isn't room to sort of grow from that point so if you if you if you you know put it blatantly if you if you fail in that capacity it it must be it must be tricky I imagine as a coach to be able to say well I guess I need to start over in a sense or you know prove my worth I mean obviously certain coaches in this league have the pedigree when they've been doing it for year after year after year we talk about you know with with Pat Sheehan when he had lost the job he has so much name value that obviously he ended, we can talk about him we'll talk about him in a moment and his son ended up taking an OC job uh, that formerly belonged to his son but you know point being for K-Mac reaching the position of head coach and then when that doesn't work out for him, it, it must be tricky to figure out what your next move is. So for him to go back and taking a role with linebackers, with special teams, which, if, once again, if I remember correctly, is where he started out with Guelph before he became D.C. And then, of course, eventually head coach. You know, get get back to your roots, so to speak. Yeah. Um, literally and, and figuratively, being in London, being a co- coach in the positions that you started out with at the CIS uh, or at U Sports OUA level. It makes a lot of sense. And you see this exact same dance happen with so many uh fired or uh, well fired yeah. i mean not retained head coaches you see it happen all the time where they become position coaches on another staff and they're veteran coaches so there are position coaches and there are position coaches i mean a head coach who becomes a position coach is not the same as a position coach who you know is in canada coaching for free yeah. or is a young guy coming up there there's an obviously different dynamic at play no doubt you know yeah. i i know I don't want Gleese to go anywhere. Gleese is an outstanding DC. I hope he stays at Western until he croaks. I mean, <laughs> sorry, Gleese. Like, I'd lock into that job if I could. But uh, I know Gleese at times has thought about maybe moving on. And if mm-hmm. that were the case, then having a guy like K Mac with experience yeah. in that linebacker role, that would be, uh, you know, it would look like an even better move 
if that were to happen, he would be able to fill in. It's that kind of thing. I mean, again, I I, ho- I really am hoping that Glee stays around because especially the way Western defenses have evolved over the last five six years, you have to you know you have to tip your hat to a guy like that because it as a guy as a part time coach who I don't think is getting paid or you know maybe some small amount for his, sure, his, yeah. his effort, but whatever it is like gas money, he he's an outstanding DC. So to have two guys of that defensive caliber mm-hmm. on your staff is a good is a really good thing, and I think you know. I think K Mac as a defensive coordinator, he may, he may have been underrated. Like I think we, I think as a league, people forget that you know sometimes he gets levied with the old. Well, he ran vanilla schemes critique. You know what the problem with vanilla? I don't, sch- I, don't, I don't know about that playing against him on scout team for a couple of years. I don't know about that remark. It's, it's just something, something, something <laughs> sure, I've yeah, heard. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I thought is like, you know, it's funny because I never. That may have been the case. He ran what? Okay, because he ran a four three. Whatever, like you know, four yeah. three defense, fine. But also, it was really hard to play against Guelph when he was the DC. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, like it doesn't matter if you do vanilla stuff. If you do it really well, if you're subtly coached on how to do things perfectly, yeah, it's it's as hard as any other defense to deal with. No, and he and and you know, obviously, the locker room is usually divided amongst positions by offense, defense. But like you would see, and it was almost being on being at Guelph on offense at that time, there was almost times where like he really had a high expectation for that defense. And to sometimes sometimes maybe it was to a detriment if he pushed them too far. But he set such a standard that on offense he sometimes were like, Oh, okay, like I, I kind of feel like we're not working nearly as hard as like these guys are running sprints and they have all these extra homework assignments and going through all their matchups and having to all this stuff and we're just kind of like all right yeah let's we'll go through the, our game plan and, and I, you know we had a very effective offense as well it's not to say that we weren't holding our own in that bargain but you know it's it's he, he comes with a high expectation of of how things are to be run and and almost to tie back into the Windsor situation where we talked about the amount of offensive line experience we have or that they have at a coaching in a coaching role and making that same point with, with Western now defensively, there is the possibility that the first notion I I agree is that you think like, wow, you have all these great minds they'll collaborate and they'll come up with a great way to, to run the offense, run the defense, whatever it might be. But there's also the possibility of too many chefs in the kitchen. And that's, that's the kind of thing with respect to Windsor that you worry about for a split second before you realize, well, this particular structure of chefs and kitchen, this this particular kitchen, is uh, has a lot of uh, experience together. It, not with Randy Beardy, obviously. This will be the first time JP and Joe have worked with him. But JP and Joe together as mm-hmm. head coach and offensive coordinator, they have time working together in that capacity with the London Junior Mustangs, both mm-hmm. at the junior varsity level and the varsity level across. You know the. The, the leagues that the junior Mustangs have been in, obviously the restructuring in Ontario minor football has happened and whatever. Yeah. The point I'm getting to is they have won multiple JV titles and back-to-back junior, sorry. Yeah. Back-to-back OVFL titles with the junior Mustangs at the varsity level. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're undefeated in their last two seasons with the junior Mustangs at the varsity level going to the championship and winning the championship both of those years undefeated seasons. So I have a feeling that these chefs are going to work extremely well yeah. together. But that is a thing that can happen. Definitely, yeah. You know, again, like Joe's going to be an offensive coordinator. Chances are he's going to be working with the quarterbacks because 
typically offensive coordinators work with quarterbacks or sometimes receivers. Very rarely do they work with offensive line, even mm. if they have strong opinions on how offensive line play should be done. And they do spend a lot of time concerning themselves with scheme and matchup. He's not going to be individually coaching offensive line yeah. during Indy. That'll be Randy Beardy's job. Same goes for JP, is my assumption. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm expecting. I think it'll work quite well together. Moving back to Western, sure. does that does that oh, you possibility? Know, just, just to finish or, it off. Oh, just, yeah, yeah. Just to finish it off. So the, um, the offense that you see with that Junior Mustangs team is a little different than Western's. They run more wide outside zone, a lot of play action, out of the pistol. Okay, everyone's doing that. Uh, you know, well, maybe not everyone. I mean, where you have a single setback behind. Expect to see a lot of H's and tight ends used. Expect them to spread it out. Like, you're going to see a lot of interesting stuff mm. from the Cercellis that will be a little bit different. If you're expecting to just see another Western offense, you have another thing coming. There will be a very, not very, very different spin on how an offense is run, but it's not the same thing. So, just to... uh to put a cap on that and, and of course they'll have to at least at, at at first until they've really built a wealth of players that they've brought in have to you know to some degree cater their offense to the talent that they have around them sure you, know? you always you always have to fit the, the offense yeah. to the talent you have but yeah. i mean most most players can play in that kind of offense yeah. i mean unless you don't have an h you know you can't run as much power yeah for sure but, but that'll be fine i'm sure that, that that's something they'll quickly address if it's not uh you know ready for them as currently exists yeah um but then i guess just to tie up this conversation on, on western and windsor going back to that idea of two may chefs in the kitchen mentioned with um now k-mac moving in or if if he does move into a coaching role with western kind of a big personality guy obviously if if, if he is taking that job it's a it's it's a step down how do you like I don't, I don't know if you know him really in any capacity other than just playing against him, but do you have any concern for that? No, not no. not not as, as as of this point. I don't think yeah. there's really any reason to, uh, to to be worried about that. I mean, I think he'll execute his role faithfully and, and within the sort of the system that exists, within the structure that exists. I mean, yeah. you know, I expect, like, I think the best staff is one where a linebacker's coach will have a lot of say with a defensive sure, coordinator. Yeah. And, and so will a DB coach, and so will a defensive line coach. Like, mm -hmm. I think a good staff is highly collaborative and I hope that he is a voice who will make his presence known because I know Gleese is the kind of, you know, he's a really good coach. He knows how to integrate strong voices. Not that maybe they've had, you know, super strong voices in the past, but just, he knows how to listen to other people and take good ideas when they come to him. Yeah. So, you know, I, he's not an ego guy. Yeah. He'll, he'll do a good job with, with K-Mac. K-Mac will do a good job with him because they're good coaches. Yeah. That's, how it's going to go down and if it doesn't work like that then that's you know there's no reason to expect it wouldn't yeah and and to your point about how they lost all these all these coaches that might not make the headlines or people don't necessarily talk about as much as they do marshall or they would have with snyder or, or gleese is that it's easy to look at western and just say well they're good and that's why they're good but it, and you can obviously speak to this better than i can but it's still like any other team it's it's you know it has that family structure it's, it has the interpersonal relationships that work so well and make it a type of an environment that breeds success it isn't just saying that we're going to be good because we're western i mean obviously that is part of it but like, but we are <laughs> just in case in case you forgot that is but, how it kind of works no, but, no, no. but having no. having like a, a a congruent you know team of of coaches that you know, work together is yeah. 
in any sense. hundred percent. I know that they're going to find more good coaches. Yeah. That's it always happens when, when Bertoia left Western, I was like, well, what offensive line coach are they going to bring in that I'm going to like in the way I like Bert? Well, (laughs) didn't take long for them to to answer that. And not because Bert's easily replaceable, but because G Marsh values having good coaches, especially an offensive line coach as, as an offensive guy himself, he's going to get a good offensive line coach. He's going to find him, whoever that is Mm -hmm. or her. No, probably a him. I mean, there aren't (laughs) a lot of female offensive line coaches out there. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm I'm happy I'm happy we've been able to have this discussion clear us up because I was getting very worried about the future state of the Western Mustangs. So I, I you know. Have put to rest any concern I've had. So thank you, Eddie. It, it's very sincere concern <laughs> I can see from your face. Doesn't play to the, the the audio format, but he is. Well, hopefully some of the sarcasm sneak through there too. Yeah, um, I mean, of course, of course <laughs> it does. But the the look on your face. Say uh, la vie, say la vie. So then, let's move along. Yeah, let's let's. Uh, how about we head a little further east now? Because I don't think we can fur- head further west into the OUA. No, we cannot. Um, so Snyder moving over to take control as the head coach for the Queens Golden Gales. Yeah, Steve Snyder, the uh, what is it, the fourth head coach for Queens or the fifth head coach for Queens in the last eighty years or something. Uh, whatever it is, the, the, the num- <laughs> it's it's hilarious. It's like you know, once you're a Queens coach or a Queens yeah, coach for it's like life, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, kind of. Sure, had like four coaches in their whole like dynasty. Exactly, and I and I think it's a very inspired hire because I, I mean, can't give them a ton of tips, uh, points for creativity because he's you know such an obviously good candidate. Yeah, right. I mean, his tenure at Western was a resounding success. Uh, his tenure at St. FX. Uh, similarly resounding, similarly successful in the context of the AUS and uh, <laughs> and at Windsor before that. So a very good young coach. The offensive players at Western, when he was brought in, were very, very, very positive about sort of what he did organizationally and with respect to the offense, working with G-Marsh, all of that together. You know, no one has a bad thing to say about him. And I think he's... Uh, you know, I think he's from what I've heard, he has a, a you know, a clear plan for making Queens back into a contender, which is when you have the amount of money that Queens has, thanks in part to gifts from Stu Lang yep. and, you know, the other wealthy benefactors of Queens football. There are expectations Definitely. and the expectations are not to have uh, the five year cycle that was sort of known to be the case with Pat Sheehan, where, you know, once every sort of. Or, you know, one, once in every five-year period, you're going to have a two years where you're going to probably win a Yates and, you know, maybe a, a Vanian Cup. I think Queens hopes and expects to be a contender every year pretty much without fail. Top three, top four team. There are obviously new challenges with Queens. They don't have uh, quite as relaxed an admission standard as some of the other schools in the OUA you're right similarly with like U of T sure yeah. similarly with U of T um but they've typically navigated that 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 difficulty a little better than U of T and it, I think you it, could say a lot better than U of T yeah no kidding uh, <laughs> uh, you know it's, it's the polite understatement I think people can read between the lines now I from what I understand the recruiting class has gone very well so far and uh Snyder has built out his staff just a little bit he added Tom Flaxman, who was the offensive coordinator for McMaster last year right, uh, and right. the year before, you know, somewhat sharing the duty sometimes. And also, uh, you know, he was a recruiting coordinator at Western when I was there. 
and he was a uh, he was a gadget coach at Western, so he was you know sometimes on the defensive side of the ball because we had a very full offensive staff at that point. And uh, a very good coach, in my opinion, a very good a recruiter that you know has been borne out, I think, over his tenure at Western and Mac. And he joins a staff that includes Ryan Beckmanis, who we know is a very good recruiter from Carleton and Queens before that, who's the defensive coordinator. I think he's a really good DC. I mean, Queens last year had a completely new unit except for Cam Lawson, who was, you know, in my opinion, the best interior defensive tackle in the conference. I mean, there were some good ones, but he was elite. I can't believe he didn't get all Canadian. And Beck had the entire defense to integrate in. I mean, it wasn't even – you're not even integrating new players into the defense. You're integrating the old players into the new defense yeah. because you had like 11 new starters on that side of the ball. So huge challenge. I thought they navigated it fairly well by the end of the year. Yeah. I thought they looked like a really good team all over the place. Which is what you would generally expect. And I think Guelph's another example where you had a lot of turnover defensively. And, well, Guelph was perhaps defensively a little more consistent throughout the year. But nonetheless, with that much overhaul, you expect to see throughout the course of the season progress getting better week after week. And I, I know we talked about it, having Queens just barely miss the playoffs. That It, it almost felt like, oh, you just – I mean, the OUA, we talked you know, ad nauseum about how the, the middle class, so to speak, of the OUA was so strong that you almost wish that you could have let you know, more teams in. Um, but then over on the offensive side of the ball, obviously the, you know, the, the pivot for the last five years in Hobbs is going to be graduating unless there's some mysterious thing going on there that I'm not I'm not aware of. So that's he's, obviously he's played five years of football. He is he oh is, so he is, is, he is day he one is was dressed for five okay. years of football. So he is the end of sort of mm. the last Sheehan cycle. And when we talk about the cycles, because that is just typically how Queens has operated over the last twenty years is in boom and bust cycles. And that this cycle didn't end with a boom is a lot of why I think Pat Sheehan, a legendary coach, was relieved. And yeah, you know it fine you know if it's time to make a change it's time to make a change I think it'll be interesting to see I mean you can't expect this staff to make this team into a contender next year we don't know who the starting quarterback is gonna yeah be. and so as much as we talked about with some of the other programs or particularly with Windsor how and how Waterloo did with building from the offensive line up I mean both those programs in Windsor and Waterloo Waterloo especially but you know both, both of them and they know who their quarterback is you yes. know and so with with Queens, as much as you need to build up that offensive line, this is this is question number one. It is question number one. And I think, you know, the offensive line from what I saw last year is a pretty solid unit and fairly young. I think they keep everyone from that unit or at least four out of five uh, is my understanding. And they have a couple of years with most of them. So they have room to grow mm -hmm. there, but but also a solid starting spot. I mean, I know they've recruited some good quarterbacks. You know, I think... I think the favorite right now is James Keenan. He's a quarterback um, out of Ottawa, I believe, and uh, was you know a big recruit last year. I know they have some other good guys on the staff who are worth mentioning. Uh, I'm not hyper familiar with that. Sorry, on the staff, on the roster. Right. Yeah, yeah. I know they. I know they have some guys. I'm not super familiar with them, but I also know they're recruiting young players right now. So the next quarterback at Queens, uh, you know, may end up getting three, four years of starting. Who knows who that'll be? Yeah. Um, Obviously, anything can happen, but that'll be that's the big question mark. Yes, obviously, will they retain players like Chris Osikusi, who you know was going to be picked in the CFL draft this year? Where in that draft? Not sure. Pretty high, I expect. He's a great athlete. If he comes back, 
that's a huge boon. They have some good young receivers too, good young players, good young running backs. Yeah, I was just going through the running back, the, the running back list, and it's funny because I'm going through these the names and they, they didn't really have necessarily the one star back of the year, but they just rotated in so many of these players who gave them good production. You know, first year Rashid Tucker, Tristan Kucher, Jake Puskas, Marquise Richards, you know, uh, so many of these backs that they were able to rotate in. Um, so they definitely have talent at the running back position. Kind of like, once again, going back to Guelph, where we saw a variety of backs come in and get touches. And one day you thought so, so-and-so was going to be the star. And then another week it was another player taking the fold. Um, which for some people having the continuity, knowing who your go-to back is, could there's definitely an argument to be made that that is important. Just so you know, obviously for the sake of practice, who is getting the most reps or whatever. But it's never a bad thing when you just have a roster full of capable um, backs who can all fill in any position. Obviously, hugely important. And the recruiting is, in my understanding, and Shomari Williams, former oh. superstar player, is their recruiting coordinator. That's – oh, very nice, very nice. This whole staff can recruit. Is is My perception is they have five good recruiters now. Steve Snyder, obviously a Western, good recruiter. Ryan Beckmanis, outstanding. Ben uh, D'Andrea and Shomari Williams and now Tom Flaxman. So – their goal is to recruit the best players and to recruit Queens type players. It's the kind of classic. Are you a Queens kind of guy? You know, are you a uh, really high grades and really, you know, yeah, uh, hard work? You know, I, I'm saying it with a sneer and a and a tone, but really, it's just you know, are you are you an elite student athlete? Yeah, uh, sincerely. And if you are, then Queens wants you, and Queens is going to be competing very hard for those kids because typically some of them are split between, you know, between some of the other schools of the OUA that are also decent schools and great football programs. Queens wants all those guys. They mm -hmm. want every single one of them. They want them from across the country. They want the kids who are playing prep school in the United States. Right. And they've got some of those so far this year. And, uh, and that's the formula for their success. So I'm excited to see where they go with this. You know, I, I do expect this one to look like a Western offense to mm -hmm. me, you know, cause they have Marquise Richards. I think they have one more year with him. Yeah. I believe so. You know, he was a blue chip recruit fullback. You're now going to see him used like, you know, great fullbacks from Western who are involved, obviously, in the run game, substantially running power, running counter. You're going to see him running. They're probably going to have him run ISOs, um, you know, where like ISO as the as the run play, they're going to have him. They're going to have him get into the flats and be a receiving option. He's going to be heavily involved. And I, you know, I'm excited to see him be used to his fullest potential because I that for all, you know, obviously, Patchian was a great offensive coach. That wasn't the kind of offense he ran. He didn't run a fullback offense. He was known for sort of being a guy who could always recruit a good H because, listen, or tight end rather, you know, depending on how you want to characterize the position, yeah. because he's going to use those guys super effectively. He's going to run a lot of great outside zone. Oh, yeah. But now you're going to see a little bit more balance, a little more gap stuff. So I think Snyder and Flaxman are very similar offensive minds mm. in how they want to attack the game. So I expect that to be a, a pretty natural marriage of, of offensive philosophies. You know, I, th I think another product of how the sort of bottom has risen in the OUA is that you're seeing fewer and fewer teams that can just rely on being a one-trick pony. You know, maybe five, six years ago, you look at the top teams, you could kind of give them a sort of – or just sort of use with few words describe how they operate. You could say Western, Power G. You know, you could say – queens the outside zone you know etc cetera, etc cetera, but just mac spread right you know 
And it's just, I think with there being more good teams, you can't rely on just having, like I said, the one trick pony. And I think it goes to show as well, why we're seeing also an influx of younger coaches across the league now, just because there is a bit of this changing of the guard and bringing in fresh ideas of how to compete against, you know, more talent. And there's, and there's an arms race for coaches and everyone wants to find the next great coach, but they'll also, you know, they'll feel a lot more comfortable finding an already great coach. And there aren't a ton. Mm -hmm. Like I think there are schools who are actively looking for coordinators because they make a huge bit of difference, obviously. And, and there just aren't that many because they're becoming head coaches and head coaches are retiring in some cases or moving on, whatever the, the difficulty in finding a, you know, a staff that complements one another is where the nuance lies. And that's, Again, that's what I think this Queen staff is going to do well because I think the pieces are going to work extremely well together, and I, I think the same thing about mm-hmm. Windsor. So it'll be really interesting to see um, how that ends up coming to fruition. If, if it is, you know, as I hope, optimistically, a great marriage. Yeah, and as, as you said, I think Queen's is obviously now in good hands. We'll probably the, some of these big questions need to be resolved before I think we can put any any real timeline on when that success will come, but starting from the top and working your way down, having a good infrastructure of coaches is so vital. Um, now, of course, we mentioned Pat Sheehan, uh, of course, being let go, creating the vacant position there. And there were some other openings across the OUA, one in Guelph, which was then, of course, filled about a week or no, maybe a couple weeks ago, by his son, Ryan. Who I'd, I'd assumed, I mean, before Pat was let go, I'd assumed Ryan would be the next head coach of Queens. I assumed Pat would, in a few years, a couple years, say, okay, you know, I've, I, I've been doing this a long time. I've had a great run. I mean, Pat wasn't slowing down in his commitment to recruiting. He wasn't slowing down, uh, you know, as far as I could tell. It really, in any capacity, uh, executing the, the duties of his job. But... After a while, being a head football coach is really hard. It's mm. really tiring. It's a lot of fun, I'm sure, but it's really tiring. It's a lot of work. So I assumed Ryan would be the next head coach of Queens. When they let his dad go, you had to assume that was no longer a thing. Yeah, burn that bridge. Snyder emerged as the the top candidate. They, you know, threw, I don't know, I just assumed they parked the Brinks truck on his <laughs> lawn and just started unloading yeah. until he said yes. Yeah. So uh, Ryan Sheehan the offensive coordinator from Calgary, ends up at Guelph. Yeah, in the head coaching role, um, which, of course, was held by uh, Todd Galloway last year, who I believe is still now involved in recruiting and perhaps some advisory role offensively because that's where he started up with the team. Um, But then because JF left as the offensive coordinator for Guelph last year, um, I know some people, and when I say some people, I'm referring to uh, the forums on ACG, but I, I did see the, the thought pop up because Ryan signed with Guelph before Sheehan found, or before his father Pat found his new home, which we'll get to in a second, of Pat Sheehan filling in the offensive coordinator spot for um, under his son as the head coach. Um, but instead, he repla- is just straight up replacing Ryan as the OC for Calgary. So a very interesting family feud, musical chairs, matchup game going on here. So you have Ryan and Guelph, Pat filling in for Ryan in Calgary, 
and the OC spot still apparently vacant in Guelph. Yeah, and I think I think it's worth mentioning the uh, the, the process it was for Guelph to find Ryan Sheehan. Ryan, Ryan Sheehan is an outstanding candidate and like a, a first choice candidate, pretty much. But yeah. that being said, uh, Guelph still did jump through some hoops looking for their head next head coach. At one point, it looked like Michael Folds to Guelph was a done deal. Uh, I mean, it not a done deal. That's that's probably the wrong way to characterize it. It looked like Folds was very interested in the job, and Guelph was very interested in him having the job. Right. Was that before or after Blake Nill looked like he was very interested in the job, and Guelph was very interested in him having the job? I, I mean, the, the the timeline is muddy. Here's what we know for sure. Those two guys did decide to go back to where they were, that Blake Nell being UBC, Folds being uh, at Laurier, possibly both with more money. I don't know. Mm. It, whether they really wanted that job or you know, wanted to just leverage the places that they were at to maybe give them more money, who knows? But yeah. uh, it looked like one of those two guys was going to be the next head coach of Guelph, and that would be really interesting because that would have opened up head coaching vacancies at those two UBC places. UBC and Laurier, yeah. Uh, eventually they, they, then it looked like maybe Snyder was in consideration right. there, like a strong consideration. And then that first domino fell. Well, th- there are two dominoes at play here, but that domino fell when he went to Queens and now Ryan Sheen gets the job. Now, yeah. And I don't know if we started this rumor, but I think we talked about also <laughs> possibility of another UBC guy who returned to the OUA in Potassic possibly uh, or at least Guelph being interested in him filling in for that job before he ultimately sure. landed back and, 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 you know, maybe Pat Tracy at Queens. That was another thing we looked at as like yeah. a, as a maybe possible. And those were, you know, reasonable things to take a look at. I mean, Guelph, they wanted an experienced coach. They settled for a very experienced coordinator. Mm. So they wanted an experienced head coach. I suppose they settled for an experienced coordinator who is, you know, clearly tapped by, the, the the brain trust of, of just Canadian football to be the, one of the next head coaches somewhere. Great young recruiter. Uh, obviously had a lot of success running the offense in Calgary. I think he's a great choice. So, yes, Pat Tracy stays at UBC and Steph Patasic, which the first domino to fall in all of this was Steph Patasic going to McMaster. But it feels like it's so long ago that this happened. Yeah. And in some ways, it feels like it was a bit of a foregone conclusion. I mean, yeah, Guelph wanted him, but like Steph still has his like family house, like a uh, a stone's throw from the Mac campus, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, Guelph's not a bad commute. Yeah, but Mac's the best commute in the world for <laughs> yeah, him. You exactly. know what I mean? So yeah, uh, his family's there. <clears throat> and then of course with everything that went down w- with Knox last year, it just created you know the perfect opportunity. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So Steph is back at McMaster, and uh, Flaxman's left McMaster for Queens, as we mentioned. So. We're not sure who his offensive coordinator is going to be. If he's going to run the offense himself, as he did at UBC mm-hmm. as an offensive coordinator last year, or as he did with Hamilton the year before. Uh, but, you know, you, you can assume that it's going to look either way like a Steph Potassic offense at well, Mac. Going back to Guelph, yeah. what do we know? I mean, it seems like it seems like the staff is in quite a bit of flux. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose I'm not pulling my weight on this end without being uh, where – I played my ball. I don't have uh, a word on how the rest of the, the coaching staff is shaping up. Um, but to go quickly back to Mac, as you mentioned, obviously they, they did lose Flaxman, but he was working in concert 
with Kyle Quinlan with the offense last year, right? So is I do you know whether yeah. Quinlan's still sticking around? Because that would be a cool thing to see as well. The return of Steph and then working underneath, you know, the guy who won him or who he won the the Vanier with and, you know, went to the back to back appearances with in Kyle Quinlan. That would just, you know, as as much as Max uh, as big a rival for me as for you, it's 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 a nice thing to see, you know. Yeah, I got nothing nothing but love for Mac, because uh, mostly we beat them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. And uh, no, I Steph Fantastic is a wonderful coach. Quinlan being his own coordinator next year in a solo capacity would be interesting. My understanding was Quinlan was very disenchanted with uh, coaching in light of what happened with Greg Knox, as I. I'm sure I would have been if I were on that staff because it seemed like just the most ridiculous process in the world. Anyways, yeah, not to relitigate that. We don't need to get back into it, but I'm not sure he'll be back. I think he's going to Teachers College. So oh, okay, cool. and I think he, and I think he's doing that in Windsor. So okay, I mean, no, no, no. Just, <laughs> Can we start just the to, rumor mill. <laughs> just, just, just to speculate wildly. No, I mean, uh, if if he is a um, Teachers College student. I guess it's kind of weird to say, you know, he won't have time to be a full-time coach. Sure. Like that's, that's a lot of work. That's a hard, I mean, I don't know if teachers college is like devastating, like med school, but it's not leaving you a lot of time to coach football. Sure, that's, yeah. that's, you know, a lot of work, but he might end up being a quarterback's coach and that would be a boon for the Windsor football program. So definitely, I, you know, I had heard that he was, he had submitted himself as a candidate for the Windsor head coaching job. So, I mean, that, that sort of flies in the face of getting out of coaching, but also, you know, okay, well, I'd be, I mean, you can be disenchanted with coaching, but if you can get a big promotion, you know, you can be re-enchanted, so to speak. <laughs> so, uh, he, you know, now that JP has the job and Joe has the OC job, who knows if Kyle Quinlan is involved though with OUA football, the league is richer for it. So Definitely. that's what I'm hoping happens is that he stays involved in some capacity, but no, I don't think he'll be back at McMaster. I think, okay. that, I think that is, and the book is closed on that. Can't say for sure though, you know, because we, you know, even with our sources, many as they may be, we still have imperfect information. We're still sort of trying to connect the dots. Yeah. Like we're Charlie from uh, from It's Always Sunny in oh, Philadelphia yeah. <laughs> with the yarn all over the room, connecting photos. No. <laughs> we're we're doing our best to to spin the story here, but. Uh, there's there's only so much that can yet be known. So absolutely, we'll try to keep you updated when we do know. Yeah, and so I guess with with that being said, uh, the Western we're waiting obviously for a lot of those positions to be filled. But you've you know painted the picture of what's going on there currently. You know very brilliantly. Windsor obviously another hot topic. What's going on in Queens with the little shuffle there? Mac really it's about Flaxman leaving the return of Potassic. What's happened with Quinlan Guelph? Ryan Sheehan's in the fold. Still some questions to be... A lot of um, questions. Yeah. Because my understanding is is Grandy is gone. Now, mm. I don't know that. So, uh, Grandy obviously was their defensive coordinator last year, yeah. linebackers coach. Before that, uh, uh, you know, recognizes like a, is a, is a really good dude and, and, and solid coach around Definitely, the league. Yeah. But, I mean, I you know, as any head coach comes in, they want to exercise control over their staff. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I think Sheehan might be angling Ryan... Uh, angling to bring in uh, a defensive coordinator who he can sort of let run have reign over the defense you know I don't I don't think he's he's a young offensive coach and a trend you see with young offensive coaches 
is to be a little bit less involved on the opposite side of the ball that they know and to sort of give a coordinator a bit of a fiefdom. And you see it, I mean, maybe I'm just, you know, extrapolating a trend from the NFL that you see with, say, Sean McVay comes in and great young offensive mind, young head coach, super, super young head coach, says to Wade Phillips, the defense is yours. Like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You do your thing. And that's sort of the way I think it should be. That being said, I mean, maybe, no, I'm crazy. Head coaches should have some control over their defense. But you can find a really great defensive coach. Let him have some control. Let him have a lot of control because mm-hmm. as a head coach on the opposite side of the ball, that's not your specialty. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I mean, you think especially for someone who's worked so long in the capacity of an offensive coordinator taking on this role. I mean, I, I, this, I mean, I think you just you said it perfectly. It's like for his is this is this is gonna be his first opportunity as a head coach, right? Steve Snyder? No, for uh, for um for Ryan Sheehan. Sheehan. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you, there's only so much you're gonna want to take on in that first role, you know, just be able to show that the offense is gonna be functional because there was a lot, a lot of questions with that offense last year, even with a ton of talent. So if that, you know, if if you know, let's see, let's see how the, he impacts Theo, you know, let's see who takes control out of these all these young running backs who be, who really starts to pull ahead of the pack you know make his imprint as a head coach with the the biggest influence on the offensive end and then you know as you become comfortable in that role sort of branch out a little bit more but i i, I completely agree you know stick with your guns so to speak 100% and, and you know he had great players at Calgary who he had to uh, to work with and I'm sure you Sinagra know wasn't bad Sinagra wasn't bad that offensive line was really really good and yeah. so were some of those receivers so you know I expect him to fire up the engine of the Guelph recruiting machine and uh and put it to use to great effect and yeah and to build a solid program I mean uh, we've 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 spoken about it last season or during the season I guess it's, it is last season yeah. isn't it? it's yeah. so long ago now uh <laughs> the bottom has risen and the middle is is you know really huddled together mm-hmm. in the OUA and it's exciting so i expect to see guelph you know i expect to see guelph be really good next year mm-hmm. and uh and i you know i think the offense is going to be a lot of fun to watch well maybe if we want to talk a little bit about some very way too early predictions on how teams are going to do especially considering that there's teams who don't even have their coaching situations resolved Perhaps we can take this opportunity to take a look at next year's schedule. We'll can, we can highlight some of the big games coming up, and in the process of doing so, we can throw out some opinions on where we think certain teams are going to land. Does that sound good to you? Let's do it. All right, let's make a move. So now taking a look at the upcoming schedule for the 2019 OUA season, starting week one, a couple of games of note. Uh, we got Carlton visiting Kingston to take on the Queens Gales. Western traveling to take on Laurier and Mac heading to Guelph to play the Griffins. And it's a good thing they're all at different times so we can watch all those games, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. Well, I mean, Carlton Queens is listed as to be announced as the time slot, but yes, all the other, uh, the Guelph Mac game and Laurier I, and Western. I really, are I, you know what I hope? This, this is a message to uh, <laughs> all the, the super powerful people listening. One uh, percent. Please make that game at four or at seven yeah. or something other than one o'clock. Please. 
Yeah, uh, no, we have, there's you know two night games that follow, but you know you're you're gonna be watching Waterloo dismantle Toronto, and then yeah, no I, York visiting Windsor. I mean, at least it'll be interesting to see. What, I mean, that's fair. There are two night games. Four o'clock would be great if you guys could yeah. do that. That would be uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, so that's that's a week one matchup. I mean, you know, some interesting things to see there. I mean, York, we're gonna have to see um, with the uh, dynamic passing game that they showed this past year. Um, I guess. Um, we'll see with Gra- will they have Brett Hunchek back? I guess that's the question. That's the question. Yeah, or, or, or where's Colton in? Is he? Is are they same year? They're the same year, but Colton is more likely to be gone. I think okay. he's, he's fairly likely to be gone in the CFL. So, so there was a silver lining around the York Lions this past year or two, and well, it might be gone. But oh, well. very conciliatory <laughs> of you. Yeah. Moving on to week two, we. Uh, We'll see the GGs take the field. Uh, the uh, Battle of the Maroon. There you go. What a dynamic color. So Mac traveling to Ottawa. Or actually, no, it's saying to be announced for the location as well. So Ottawa taking on Mac at some location Maybe at a- some time. <laughs> but we know it's going to be on the 1st of September. So uh, very descriptive. Thank <laughs> plan you. Your travel, plan your traveling accordingly. Ottawa <laughs> with that that lovely first week by that I'm sure they are thrilled about. The extended oh, training yeah. camp. Loving it. I'm no- sure he's going to. Take, take it real easy on them yeah yeah take it extremely easy on them yeah yeah, yeah. Ho- hoping for a cool end enjoy of guys autumn. yeah um <laughs> then we're gonna have guelph traveling to carlton and then mnp park <laughs> 7 p.m there yes, you go 7 p.m games but you know knowing our luck that ottawa mac game is probably gonna be turned into a seven o'clock start too uh, so we'll have three seven o'clock starts on the first sense. and then on the following day because obviously the start of the oua season has some diversity in one the day's uh, on what days the games happen because school yeah, is not kids in session. Are, kids are not in yet. They want to preferably maximize attendance. Yeah. At, like, you know, 100 kids there. <laughs> but interesting game. The following day, we'll have Snyder's return to Western as Queens takes on. Oh, baby. You know I'm going to be there if I yeah. can be there. That's going to be a hot game. Well, it's a to-be-announced uh, to be announced start time, but for sure it's going to be in London. So depending if that's a 1 o'clock start, that could be a very hot game. So. I hope they – I hope they, uh, they. yeah, I wish it was a 7 o'clock game. They make it the blackout game of the year so that kids can start the year off right at Western. With a massive hangover. Getting blackout. Yeah. yeah. Uh, following week, going through the schedule. Did you mention the Laurier York game? Oh, I didn't mention Laurier That's York. Also on that, uh, on that uh, September on the second. second. And also, I don't think I mentioned that Windsor's playing U of T the night before. But well, that's also something you didn't mention. That's true. But eh. anyways, um, moving on to the following week, we have York traveling to Guelph, Waterloo going to Windsor, Queens taking on Ottawa. Perhaps interesting, depending on how those teams fill out their rosters with some of the players that will be graduating. And yeah, that, I mean, by that yeah. point, it'll sort of be a, a bit telling of what Queens is going to do yeah. in the season, right? By the third game against Ottawa, you're going to have a young quarterback who will be in his third start. And at that point, if, if you know if you can't swim at that point, you're sinking. So that'll be interesting. That's, that's a lot of the teeth of the schedule. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Western going to take on Mac in Hamilton. That'll be an interesting one. I mean, rival schools just doesn't seem to phase you in the slightest. That's a that's a that's a slapping. <laughs> I hope. No, we'll, uh, we'll see. We'll see. And then week three is finished off with a nightcap. Toronto visiting Laurier, seven o'clock start at University Stadium. Not the game I would have wanted to be the seven o'clock. But okay, not. at least we're trying here with the diversity. Yeah. Times. Uh, moving on to week four, we have Carlton going to London, take on Western. Carlton seemingly is always able to, you know, at least make something of a game for a part of the duration against Western. But once again, 
to be announced in terms of the time slot. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what Carlton looks like next year. I mean, I think Aruda has a has a solid chance of progressing again the way he did from the year before to last year. And uh, hopefully that's also a 7 o'clock game because it is still listed as a TBA on yeah. the time. And as well, since all the other games are 1 o'clock games as well. Laurier at Ottawa. That's a nice one. Yeah, we have Guelph going to Waterloo. Rematch Ooh. from the playoff, first-round playoff game last year that was super exciting. Big, big, big game. You know that Waterloo's going to want some revenge there. Circle that. Uh, Back at York. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> to put so it uh, so elegantly. So disrespectful. <laughs> uh, uh, Windsor heading to Queens. Yeah, the battle of the, the Western assistants in their new head coaching jobs that'll Very be exciting this storyline that'll, that'll be a nice reunion game hopefully i you know hopefully get up to that one yeah uh following week we have the uh, yates cup matchup a uh, rematch i should say of uh, western going to guelph that's right yeah i don't remember how that game went down but yeah. it's a rematch yeah that's all you need to know uh yeah. <laughs> uh then you have windsor going to mac anything really pop out on that one for you uh I, I mean, mean JJP played at McMaster, so you know you have again like Steph. Steph has been the coach at Mac before, but it is his first year of his second tenure. So, and if we do end up seeing Quinlan on the Windsor staff by on, some on one sideline yeah. or the other, yeah, yeah exactly. No, I mean, it'd be interesting to see uh, how JP goes into his old stomping grounds if he yeah. can make a statement. That'd obviously be a, you know, it'd be it'll be meaningful, meaningful for him mm-hmm. to beat McMaster and to beat Western, Definitely. particularly. Oh yeah. Um, then we have Queens coming to Toronto, taking on U of T. Sure. Yeah. Um, what that is on the that is on that, the schedule. That is happening. Uh, Waterloo going to Carlton. I definitely would circle that one for Good sure. Game. That was a great or that was a frustrating game last year. A game that it was Waterloo a, seemingly gave away. It was an at exciting home. game. It was the most uh, mistake riddled game yeah. probably of the year. I mean, in terms of just hyper costly blown assignments miss kicks mu- miss kicks muff punts whatever yeah. the whole deal everything was a mess about that game but also both teams are you know explosive and can be fun to watch yeah that's a, that's a game that, that that could put up the highest scoring total like oh i mean we're, we haven't made our way through the whole schedule yet but as an early favorite that could probably be one of the highest scoring games between both sides yeah and then wrapping up that week with ottawa traveling to take on york um five o'clock start though so can watch it i guess uh moving on following week we have queens taking on laurier uh could be an interesting game that's another another that was hard, a good that yeah. was a good matchup from last year i think that had some playoff implications if i remember correct yeah, i don't think you do remember correctly oh, laurier, I guess not. <laughs> laurier went to queens and, and beat the tar out of them oh was that the oh that might have oh yeah okay yeah yeah you're right you're right um i might be thinking of laurier carlton last year that's the one i was thinking of and speaking of carlton they're going to be taking on uft traveling to ottawa to play them uh ottawa guelph baby ottawa guelph that should be a good one uh battle of the two teams that did not beat western this year well that pretty much makes up any matchup that's right from last year that that's doesn't right. involve western so right. you smug bastard uh then we have western traveling to windsor which is going to be a, a very anticipated game more from a personnel standpoint than perhaps the product we're going to see on the field but i mean we can't really fully judge any of these teams yet like we said this this is the point where we're making the, the way too early predictions on some of these teams not to say that it's uh oh you know in left field to say that we think western's gonna be good again but nonetheless uh and then the week is wrapped up with york traveling to waterloo uh all one o'clock starts uh for that week uh then moving forward into the month of october we have waterloo going to western we're gonna see obviously last year that was really the point where the you know this magical season for waterloo hit the brick wall and it kind of started to slide thereafter 
Uh, or maybe you could make that as the Carlton game, but obviously that was a bad game. That that was one of the few games on the schedule where we were like, yeah, maybe maybe a team can can show you know mm. kind of the 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 Avengers line with Thanos, like he bleeds. You know, we, we thought maybe Waterloo <laughs> Waterloo could draw blood from the you know the Thanos of the OUA in Western, but they'll get another chance. They will get another chance. Uh, Laurier traveling to take on Windsor, Mac taking on UFT, and then. Uh, Carlton with the Panda game taking on Ottawa. That was a brilliant game last Always, year. Ton of fun. Well, until Ottawa pulled away. They with pulled it, away, but it, but is, it is routinely the most fun game to watch in the schedule. Yeah. And then on a shortened week, we're gonna have Guelph taking on Queens. Obviously, there's uh, there's always connections with those two teams. And then we're gonna have the Battle of Waterloo um, with Laurier taking on Waterloo. And it's so interesting. We're, we're talking about October 10th now. Uh, Guelph Queens kicking off at 6 p.m. Laurier and Waterloo kicking off at 7. Uh, just because you change the times doesn't mean you've actually fixed the problem. This is just <laughs> like the same thing, but just ugh, this is lipstick on the pig. I, you know, it's, I think it's like a left hand not knowing what the right's doing here. Like it's, uh, so we made the game at seven. Wait, we made the game at seven. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. You know what, guys? Like at least you're trying. You're trying, yeah, you know? I mean, at least you're trying. And I, I gather this must be the uh, Thanksgiving weekend because the day after we have Mac and Carlton, one o'clock start. Should be a good one there. Then the Battle of Toronto, nightcap game at York, and then Windsor and Ottawa also at seven o'clock. So that will be Windsor making the longest road trip of the year to Ottawa for that seven o'clock game. That's uh, that's always a blast. At least with the later start time, it gives you maybe a bit more time to you know readjust with the travel. Sure, but yeah, well, we'll yeah. see. It could be an interesting one. For sure. And then final week of the season, we have Carlton taking on Laurier, a uh, time to be announced. Guelph visiting UFT, York traveling to take on Queens. Ottawa going to Western, another of the games last year that I think we held our breath that, well, at least I did. I don't think you gave a lick of what any team did against Western. <laughs> um, but at least I held my breath that maybe they'd be able to show some weakness in Western. And uh, spoiler alert, if you didn't pay attention to the OUA last year, they didn't. They didn't score. Yeah, they did. You're supposed to score. <laughs> they didn't score. And then the... Uh... They didn't score once. <laughs> they didn't even get a, they didn't get a rouge. Oh, yeah. That was... Come on, Ottawa. Was it... Wait, was it... There wasn't a single point for all. Was it? No, a, was it was a shutout, baby. I thought it was like maybe like two or three. But I've always held the belief that like getting completely shut out is better than like putting up like two points. You know what I mean? You want to know something? I disagree. Oh, really? <laughs> Come on, man. Getting shut out? Oh, no. It's kind of you like. Didn't, you didn't even get close enough to kick a punt? You, you, like, you couldn't even get, like, a rouge on them? Yeah, well, my my, on, my my reasoning for this kind of stems from my same reasoning where if you get really bad service at a restaurant, a no tip isn't the way to express your being upset. Leaving 35 cents, that's how you really tell someone that they really didn't do a great job. So that's my, like, thought process and why. Mm. If you at least score two, if you score two points, it's like, uh, eh. anyways. <laughs> I don't know why we are on so long a tangent with that. It's a pretzel that. you put yourself into, but a I little like bit. It. It's a taste-looking pretzel. <laughs> Thank you. And then season <laughs> season wraps up with Waterloo traveling to Hamilton and take on Mac. Um, I say wraps up, except all the games that week are at one o'clock, so it might not be the final game of the season. But that is the schedule for the upcoming OUA season. And uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's it, it looks good. Obviously, as the season as the off season creeps closer to you know the summer and i'm sure all these teams are in their winter training camp programs right now and 
it, you know, we'll be able to, as, as we get closer to the summer and off season or, and training camp, how all these teams are shaking up. But, you know, as long as we have still this strong middle pack of OUA teams, we can say that the regular season will be entertaining. You know, we'll have some good matchups throughout it. If Western remains just a juggernaut that's untouchable, you know, what are you going to do? That's great. That's, that's, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the, uh, that's the season, uh, upcoming. Anything else we want to touch on before we, uh, call it for a day? No, that's about it. Yeah, I guess that'll do it. So hope you enjoyed this, uh, you know, little coaching review of what's been going on the last few weeks and a preview of the upcoming schedule. We don't really have necessarily a schedule of how we're going to be posting episodes. We'll probably wait till we kind of can put together a wealth of info of what's been happening around the league which you know who knows could be can be as soon as a week from now could be a couple weeks maybe things are going to slow down we can't really say but if you have any any suggestions anything you would like us to be doing any content you would love to see you know you can find us on social media across the board if you were a coach and you want to push your shady agenda reach out to us oh absolutely we will we will we will spread misinformation on your behalf now of course not but if you want more representation on the pod for your university, uh, your staff, you know, whoever, we're here for it. I mean, we're always looking for sources. Absolutely. Always looking for sources and always looking for content. So if you make our job easier, we're not going to turn that down. That's it. Um, Without sacrificing our, our fantastic journalistic integrity. Yeah, as, as great as it is. But I guess that'll wrap it up for us. Flawless. Right? Flawless. Flawless. So that'll wrap, it us, wrap that up for us today. And uh, so we'll see you next time at the 55. Woo!